Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, it's good to see you guys again this weekend. This is the fifth week of our series that we're basing on the life of Elijah, and this week we're actually wrapping up the series, and may seem like we're wrapping it up in a weird way, but this week... We're gonna wrap it up by addressing the topic of, of depression and anxiety uh, and discouragement. In fact, the word depression doesn't really appear in the Bible. A biblical word for depression or discouragement would be actually anxiety. And I think it's a really, really timely topic as we head into the holidays because this is an issue that is more prevalent than ever when you get to the holidays. And, and maybe you don't, you, know, you don't deal with depression or discouragement. And, uh, but we see, we all need this, what we're gonna talk about this week, because I promise you this. You, I mean, your life may be cheer blossoms and joy, joy all the time, but I am telling you, I promise you, you are surrounded by people who need to be encouraged. So this is something for all of us this weekend. By the way, just so you know, depression isn't uncommon in the Bible. Uh, if you re read the Old Testament, for example, Moses and Jonah, I'm telling you, they became so depressed, they actually asked God to kill them. I mean, that's pretty depressed, right? Even the great apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, it says he despaired of life. In other words, he was so bummed out by life, he thought, you know what? It would just be better to be dead. But I think the one that really surprises me is the person that we've been studying in this story. It's the prophet Elijah. Uh, and it, it surprises me because of the miraculous ways that God has worked through his life. I mean, think about this. Just take 1 Kings chapter 17. There are more incredible things that happen in Elijah's life in 1 Kings chapter 17 than most Bible characters. In fact, we would love like just one hundredth of what happened to the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 17 if that would just happen to us. For example, remember he went before King Ahab and said there's gonna be a drought and then immediately God said, I want you to go hide by the brook Kareth and so he heads down to the brook and God, think about it, cool water to drink from. Uh, it's the first Uber Eats. I mean, literally there were ravens bringing him subs every afternoon. It was absolutely incredible. But as we learned in our series, the brook dried up. Not a big problem for God. When brooks dry up, God is still very much alive. And so he just transports Elijah to the next town, Zarephath, the crucible. And he said, there's a widow there. She's going to take care of you. And sure enough, Elijah strolls into town. He sees the widow. She's gathering sticks. And he says, man, I could really use something to eat and I could really use something to drink. And remember how the widow responded? Hey, I'm gonna, I got just enough flour. I've got just enough oil left to make a little pancake. And my son and I, we're going to eat it. And then we're going to die. We are going to starve to death. And Elijah said, let me challenge your faith. If you will take care of me first and then take care of yourself and your son, God is going to provide for you until the drought is over. And sure enough, she would get up every morning, she would go to the cupboard and there was enough flour and there was enough oil for that day. That evening, there would be more. The next day, it would be replenished over and over again until the drought ended. We're still in 1 Kings chapter 17. A few verses later, as you saw last weekend, the widow's son died. And Elijah brings him back to life. I am telling you, Elijah is what I call a spiritual stud. But when you get to 1 Kings chapter 19, now we find Elijah struggling uh, with the same thing that often many of us struggle with. It's those feelings of discouragement, uh, those feelings of depression, 
those feelings, anxiety. So I have a couple of goals this weekend. First of all, I want us to see why Elijah struggled with these things. And maybe we can see a pattern in our own lives. And then second, I want us to see how God dealt with him. I want us to see how he also desires to deal with us when we struggle in this area. Now, if you're gonna understand what we're gonna read in 1 Kings chapter 19, you gotta back up to 1 Kings chapter 18. Chase covered the story a few weeks ago. It's the showdown on Mount Carmel. It's where Elijah has had enough with these guys and says, let's do it. And so they meet on Mount Carmel and it's the big, it's the, it's, listen, this is what they're gonna do. Whoever can call down fire from heaven from their God, they win, okay? And so I think that Elijah probably won the coin toss. He defers to the second half. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, they get to go first. And you just really have to read that story to appreciate it. They're supposed to build an altar. They're supposed to put wood on it. They're supposed to put a sacrifice on it and see if Baal will bring down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And this goes on for hours. I mean, they're dancing, they're screaming, they are cutting themselves. Meanwhile, Elijah's over under a tree with a toothpick, you know, and he's heckling them the whole time. And, and it's really interesting, especially, you know, he says, hey, yell a little louder. Maybe he's taking a walk. Maybe he's taking a nap. In fact, it's a nice way of saying it. Maybe he stepped aside, but literally the Hebrew is, maybe he's in the bathroom. Call a little louder. And so while these guys are going crazy, Elijah, he's, he's heckling them and he's bullying them a little bit, right? It was cool back in those days. But anyway, all this is going on. And finally, after hours of chaos, Elijah says, that's enough of this nonsense. You boys sit down, let me show you how it's done. And Elijah steps up, and if you go count the prayer, the words of the prayer, 60 words. Most of us pray 60 words before we get through the introduction, especially in our small groups when we're trying to impress everybody, right? 60 words. And when he finished, God sent down fire from heaven. Now, this is what's cool. Not just did it consume the sacrifice, it consumed the wood. It consumed the boulders that made up the altar. It lapped up the water that Elijah had poured over the sacrifice in the middle of a drought, by the way. And at this point, Elijah, he is at an all-time emotional high. And he says, seize those 400 prophets of Baal. And he takes them and he absolutely destroys them. He slays every one of them. Now, on the heels of that, you get to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse one. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Remember Jezebel, I said, she's the, kind of the wicked witch of the Old Testament, right? So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I'm gonna make your life just like one of those dead prophets. A bell. One of those prophets, Elijah, that you killed. In other words, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you're history. Elijah, you're a dead man walking. Now, remember, this is the guy, okay? All the miracles we just talked about in 1 Kings 17. This is the guy who single-handedly slew 450 bad dudes, these prophets of Baal. I don't think that Elijah is afraid of conflict. I don't think that he's afraid of a battle. I don't think he's afraid of a fight. In fact, someone sent me the coolest little picture today. Uh, on the way into battle, you'll never hear, I wish we had a cat. <laughs> I guarantee you Elijah did not walk around with a cat, okay? All right, he just wasn't that kind of guy. He did not run from battles. But now think about it. Elijah, this great, powerful, incredible prophet of God. He's freaked out, totally blown away by Jezebel's threat. So much so that you see in verse three, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And we're all gonna see, also gonna see, not only was he afraid, but he was depressed. So much so that he ends up in a cave. 
So wait a second, what's going on with Elijah? I mean, all these miracles in 1 Kings chapter 17, calling down fire from heaven in 1 Kings chapter 18. What in the world is going on with Elijah? I'll tell you exactly what's going on. He's hit the wall. He is burned out. From his perspective, he is absolutely done. Now, in working through this story, uh, you, you will actually discover several reasons why uh, Elijah sunk into depression, and I think it's probably the same reasons that we struggle with this, with depression and discouragement. Let me just give them to you. First of all, he is coming off an emotional high. Uh, and you can take it from me. One of our most vulnerable moments when we're most susceptible to depression is right after a great victory or right after an emotional high. I remember when I was a young pastor in Southern California, uh, I, was, I met with a group of ministers every month, and Chuck Swindoll was in that group we would see sometimes. And, and if you don't know Chuck Swindoll, he's just been incredible for years. He's on the radio. I think he's written about four billion books. And, and as we we're talking one day, and he was giving us young pastors advice, he said, don't ever resign on a Monday. Because for the weekend, for a pastor, it's the, it's the pinnacle. You work all week, you study all week, and it's, it's the celebration. You get to see everyone, but Monday... It feels like the road. So he says, at least wait till Tuesday. See, don't come off of that emotional high and resign. Sometimes for me, it's Easter. Or it's the 127 Christmas Eve services we do. Often, I'm kind of discouraged and down on Christmas Day because, honestly, the services and leading up to it, that's always been a highlight of my life. Elijah is in the same place. He's just come off of this great emotional high, and he finds himself vulnerable. Here's the second one. He isolated himself from his supporting relationships. Uh, look at what he did, verse three. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. By the way, this is one of the things I've learned over all the years of, of dealing with people. This is what you discover. Depressed people are lonely people. The odds are if you're struggling with depression and discouragement, you're probably also suffering from loneliness. Depression and loneliness, they're, they're kind of like Siamese twins. They, they just seem to be connected. Wherever one goes, the other one follows. Now, looking back at Elijah, what should he have done? Well, if he was smart, he would have immediately contacted somebody, somebody that could come along and maybe offer him some support, uh, some encouragement, maybe some objectivity. But it's interesting how our human nature works. When we get discouraged, depressed, down, I think often the very first thing we do is we isolate ourselves. And that's what we find Elijah doing in the story. He begins to screen his call. He doesn't respond to text. He doesn't answer when people come to the door. And so he's sinking fast. Here's the third reason. He is physically and emotionally exhausted. I mean, think of what he's been through. You can see it in verse four. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. In other words, he says, I, I can't go on. By the way, let me just say this in Elijah's defense. You don't go through what Elijah has gone through without being physically exhausted and emotionally spent. There's an old Greek saying, you will break the bow if it's always bent. You will break the bow if it's always bent. In other words, you will eventually snap under the load. You will eventually snap under the pressure if you continually stay wound tight. If you live every day, day in and day out, under that kind of stress. And it's so important that you give your time, yourself time to rest and time to relax and, and carve out time for leisure. It's one of the reasons that the principle of the Sabbath is so important. But at this point in the story, Elijah's just, he's just spent. He's just empty. He's absolutely exhausted. But there's one more reason he's depressed. 
He just felt sorry for himself. He had a little bit of a pity party. And just like with Elijah, when we give in to pity, well, it tells you things that aren't true. Uh, it will tell you things that are exaggerated and, and it will destroy you emotionally. I'll never forget back in February, you may remember we had Jody Messina here. And uh, she's a country western singer. I think she had nine number one hits. And so she came and came with her band from Nashville and she sang all the songs. And then, and then she shared her story of faith, how she came into a relationship with Jesus Christ and closed out the night by leading us in worship. And, and what a great night it was to be here. And I sat right down here, right on the end of the row. And it was just amazing. And I was enjoying it. And I'm not really into country music, so I didn't recognize any of her songs. But I, you know, we were having a great time. But then when she started talking about her journey to faith in Jesus, she made this comment. She said, you know, one day I realized that the only reason people love me is for what they can get out of me. And I was sitting right down there and I thought, that's why people love me. Started having my own little self-pity party. People love me because you know what? They know if they forget their anniversary, I can still get them in the race last minute. I can probably get them tickets to a ball game. I know enough people I can ask, you know. They like the way I do weddings and funerals. They'll need me around one day, see. They love me. People love me for what they can get out of me. And I began to think, man, some of the emails I'd gotten, this is a person who absolutely loved me until I preached one message they didn't like. Or they absolutely loved me until they found out that I didn't line up exactly politically maybe the way they did. Or they absolutely loved me until I said something they didn't like. And I remember sitting there in that seat and having that pity party. And I'm thinking, that's the only reason people like me. That's the only reason I get invited anywhere. That's the only reason people love me. And then I thought, no. I, I can think of one person <laughs> that loves me, right? But you get into that pity part. That's exactly what's going on with Elijah in verse 4. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. By the way, whoever said he had to be better than his ancestors? Ancestors, and this is what's interesting about self-pity. It normally comes when we set unrealistic standards. You ever set unrealistic standards for yourself? Christmas is one of those times. You ever set unrealistic standards for Christmas? You have this vision of what it's gonna be like, but it never quite meets those expectations. The kids don't behave the way you thought they were behaved. Somebody didn't appreciate the gift as much as you thought they were gonna appreciate the gift. But we set these unrealistic expectations. We can't meet the expectations. And when we set these unrealistic standards and then we can't meet them, I'm telling you, self-pity, it will move in like a beast and it will claw you to death. So understand, this is where Elijah is. Now, I want you to see what God did to bring Elijah out of this funk. Okay, three things. First of all, God offered Elijah rest and refreshment. You can see it in verse five. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and... There by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So the very first thing that God does is he allows Elijah to get some rest. No sermon, no rebuke, no pep talk. God didn't guilt him like you, worthless, ingrate. All I've done for you, subs by the brook careth, widow taking care of you in Zarephath, right? I let you bring a little boy back from life. That had to be a rush for you, Elijah. Hey, listen, I just sent you fire from heaven. Hello, you know? God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Elijah hadn't had a good meal in a while, so God caters him a meal, you know? 
He wakes up from his nap. There's a you know, nice meatball sub, tall, cool one. He eats it, downs it, goes back to sleep. Why go back to sleep? He's exhausted. He's exhausted. Socrates once said this. It's hard to be a philosopher when you have a toothache. I would add it's hard to be what God wants us to be when we're exhausted. You know what it's hard to do when you're exhausted? Walk by faith. You know what it's hard to do when you're exhausted? It's really hard to trust God. You find at times it's hard to be obedient. I'm telling you, exhaustion and fatigue, they do strange things when they show up in your life. They make us do emotional cartwheels and it can lead us into all kinds of depression and discouragement. In fact, you know what some of the most, sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do in your life <laughs> is skip small group, take a nap, get some rest, carve out some time for leisure. So God comes along and he gives Elijah time to rest. Second, God offered the comfort of his word to reassure him. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is, is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Think of it more this way. Hey, Elijah, why are you here? But again, I love the fact that God doesn't put him on a guilt trip. He doesn't say, some prophet you are. Man, I thought you were tough. You're like a big sissy, all afraid, ooh, hiding in a cave, right? I also love the fact that God didn't say, you know what, Elijah, why are you here? You shouldn't feel that way. Probably the worst advice we could ever give in a situation is you shouldn't feel that way. You ever had somebody say that to you? I mean, you got to one of those moments where you were vulnerable, you finally opened, out, you pour, opened up, you poured out your life to them, and their response was, you shouldn't feel like that. Well, duh. You know, you already know you shouldn't feel like that. You already know it's irrational to feel the way that you're feeling. And you don't need somebody to come along and tell you, but God doesn't do that, right? Instead, God came to Elijah and said, man, we, we, buddy, we gotta work through this. Like for starters, we gotta get out of this cave. It is dark, damp, depressing, spiders, bugs, bat poo. I mean, this place is gross, right? And notice how he responds, Elijah, with his self-pity routine in verse 10. He says, I, I am the only one left. And what he's implying here is, I am the only one left who really loves you, God. I am the only one left who's really serving you. By the way, you ever feel that way? You know what, nobody serves in Kid City like I do. I am there every week, I never miss nobody. I tell you what, I'm a real martyr how I serve in Kid City. Or nobody gives sacrificially the way that I give. So this is what's going on with Elijah. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's not the only one left, we're gonna see that in a second, but it's self-pity talking. But once again, God very graciously listens to him. He doesn't say, that is so stupid, Elijah. He doesn't rebuke him, he just continues to listen. And finally, God says, listen, <laughs> Elijah, I gotta get you out of this cave, it's even bringing me down. So look what it says in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. For the Lord is about to pass by. And I think implied is, you don't wanna miss this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper, maybe just a When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face 
went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? I know that you feel like you can't go on. I know you feel like you can't continue. I know that you feel like you're all alone, but God informs him in verse 18, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, just so you know, I've got 7,000 people just as committed as you are, waiting in the wings, and I can call on them anytime I want. So God comes along and he reassures Elijah uh, with his word, and sometimes that's enough. Sometimes that's enough. Did you know that there are 365 fear knots in the Bible? 365. How many days in the year? Hmm, coincidence? I think not, right? 1,400 promises in the Bible that you can claim. So he comforts him, he reassures him through his word. Third, God gave Elijah a close personal friend to counteract his loneliness. Verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, different guy, weird, I know, Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. I read that and I thought, some of the details they give you in the Bible are just weird. All the things I would like to know, and they felt like that was one of them. Okay, so he's driving the 12th pair, and Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. He kind of, that's like he drafted him. And you read in verse 21, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I like what the New American Standard says. He set out to follow Elijah and he ministered to him. So God said, listen, Elijah, you have been alone long enough. I'm gonna give you a friend. But this is not just any friend. This is a friend who's gonna love you and accept you and understand you and encourage you. Now, let me just say something here. My heart breaks for those of you that maybe you don't have somebody like that in your life. Because I have learned over the years, one of the best things you can do to battle depression and discouragement is to have a really good, close friend. Somebody that's gonna love you right where you are, accept you right where you are. A friend who won't be quick with a sermon <laughs> or a verse, or here's a podcast you should listen to, or you gotta make sure you read this book, right? Every time you share a struggle. They know you. Inside out, warts and all. And it doesn't phase them. They love you, accept you. Mark Twain said this, he said, we're all like the moon. We all have a dark side. So my question would be, who in your life knows your dark side? Knows what you struggle with. And yet they still accept and love you where you are. So God brought in Elisha and he encouraged and he ministered to Elijah. Mother Teresa once said this, it's easier to fill an empty stomach a hungry stomach than to fill an empty heart. You have an empty heart? You're watching at home this weekend, do you have an empty heart? Here's a question for you. Would you admit it if you did? My guess is probably not. Because we learn early on in life to mask it, to hide it, to cover it up. We learn how to look busy. We even learn how to stay busy. We learn how to surround our life with a lot of action, a lot of motion, a lot of noise. I mean, we got cell phones ringing and buzzing and emails, you know, computers emailing and Twitter twittering, whatever, whatever Twitter does, you know. Some of you always have that Bluetooth, I don't know, I guess surgically implanted in your ear. By the way, when you wear a Bluetooth in your ear all the time, you know what it says to the rest of the world? I am so important that if I miss one phone call, the world is gonna to come to a screeching halt. See, that's what it's saying right there. Because, but see, we make ourselves feel like we're so connected and we're so plugged in 
but this is what I know. We have no idea how to live in relationships of intimacy and community with one another. You know what's replaced it? Social media. And now all of a sudden you find your self-worth based on how many followers you have. But as a result, we're a nation of lonely people, very lonely people. And it stinks to be lonely because God didn't create us to do life alone. He created us to have deep relationships with other people, relationships that can heal, relationships that can help us survive, relationships that can help us to be the best version of ourselves. And so God brought that kind of relationship into Elijah's life. And I think probably everyone that hears that this weekend would probably say, you know, that's really what I want in my life. I need somebody in my life. That's really what I'm missing in my life. The problem is this. Rarely in our relationships do we venture beneath the surface. We don't talk about our needs, do we? We don't talk about our heartaches. We don't talk about our fears. We don't talk about our disappointments, our struggles, our problems. We don't talk about the things that close friends are actually supposed to talk about. And as a result, most of us have no idea how we can care for each other deeply. Most of our relationships, if we're honest, are surface relationships. There are people that I've known at this church for 20 years. And in some of those relationships, we're still talking about the same old stuff. We were talking about the weather, talking about our favorite sports team and every four years politics, right? But the reality is most of us are really afraid to relate to someone on a deep level. I'm not really sure why that is, but I think it's because most of us think like this. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. That's my guess. If you really knew my past, you wouldn't like me. If you really knew what I've done, you wouldn't like me. If you really knew what I was struggling with right now, you would keep me at arm's length. But see, that's not true. Do you know what we would discover? We'd actually discover that we're all struggling. I mean, eventually we would discover that every one of us are messed up, broken people. We, we just don't like to admit it. So I thought hey, we'd do an exercise this week. How about if we just say this? Let's all say this together. Some people are live at home. Let's just say this. On the count of three, I want everybody to say like you really mean it. Put your heart into it. One, two, three, I want you to say, I'm broken. Okay, let's just get it out in the open. Here we go. One, two, three, I'm broken. Now, if you couldn't say that, you really have issues, right? Because every one of us are broken people. I was in a restaurant a couple of weeks ago, and a couple came up to introduce themselves. They were due to hope, and they said, we love hope, we love hope, and we love you, we love your transparency and authenticity, which I've learned over the years this. You know what people love about me? Is my authenticity. Do you know what people hate about me? My authenticity. Yeah, it's a two-edged sword, right? And they say, you're just authentic, you know, and I said, well, you know what? It kind of goes both ways because there's a lot of people who don't want a pastor that struggles. And I, I was kidding with them, and I said, well, you know, well, keep it up, and I'm like, I really don't have an option. I mean, I could sit up here and pretend I've got it all going on, but the reality is this. I'm no different than you. I mean, I got some huge issues in my life. I've told you before, I'm... I'm not probably, I've written to my congregation this, I'm not that spiritual. I'm not that smart. I am, I'm about a week ahead of most of you. And I'm running like crazy to stay a week ahead. And there's some of you ahead of me I'll never even catch up with. But I'm no different than you are. But see, God wants us to create these kinds of honest, open relationships where we can begin to work through these issues and we can begin to find healing in our lives but I'll tell you two things it's gonna take. 
It's gonna take honesty and it is gonna take transparency. And so I need to be honest and transparent with you. I have been doing this ministry thing nonstop for 40 years and I have hit the wall. I am 100% in a cave and it is dark and gloomy. In fact, you could take this story and remove Elijah's name and insert Mike and that could be my story. And I'll be honest, it's not one thing, it's probably a culmination of years of things. It's not just work and ministry, some of it's personal, some of it's family, some of it's health, you know. After a while it takes a toll. What does Socrates say? It's, it's hard to be a philosopher when you have a toothache. Now fortunately, I have a board of elders around me and uh, they've kind of picked up on this. And uh, probably the last elder meeting when I was sitting in my chair and I levitated and my head started spinning around, that could have been one of the signs they picked up on. So they have graciously reached out to me and they have, they have offered me a sabbatical. And uh, I've never had one. Um, personally, I struggle with this. Um, it feels weak. I don't like to feel weak. I like to feel strong, I like to feel tough. Um, it feels lazy. And I've always prided myself in my work ethic. It doesn't feel very spiritual. But they've offered me a sabbatical, and uh, like I said, I've never had one. Um, I actually broached this topic with the board way back in February, and then COVID hit, and then the racial unrest and tension hit, and it just was no way you could justify taking a sabbatical. So they have offered me a sabbatical. I, I've accepted the opportunity to do it. I am gonna begin after we finish up the Christmas Eve services. It's gonna last uh, several weeks. Uh, there's no specific time right now. Not a vacation. I have plenty of vacation. It's not a study break. I take a study break every summer and plan out the year's speaking schedule and prepare for that. This is strictly for the purpose of rest and renewal. And I have one goal in this. I used to be the happiest person in the world. But as the church has grown and it's become a 24 seven, oh, all the time, it's so, it's so funny as I look back on my life, all the things that brought me joy and refreshment, I don't do them anymore. I have golf clubs that have hung in my garage for two years without being touched. And just, so I'm gonna get back to finding some things that I enjoy that fill up my tank a little bit and help me enjoy that idea of the Sabbath. In fact, starting tomorrow, I'm gonna to start working with horses. I'm gonna learn how to be a farrier. I'm gonna start shoeing horses. And I might even go, I talked to Laura, I might even get on a plane by myself and go to New Mexico where I found a cattle drive. I'll do a little city slicker thing. I'll figure out that one thing, but anyway. And I hope to be back in a few weeks and I hope to be back rested. I hope to be back renewed, uh, ready for the future. I also wanna tell you, and this is what I'm excited about, we are absolutely over the next few weeks after the, after the holidays, we are literally bringing in some of the best, most sought after Bible teachers in the country. And so there's a long list of them that are gonna be, being, that are gonna be here uh, to fill in. You're not gonna wanna miss these individuals. In fact, I plan on being around to hear some of them. And I just wanna wrap it up by saying, I love you guys. And I love Hope Community Church. I know I have your love and support and encouragement. I, I don't need cards, emails, I don't need any of that. The only thing I would ask over the next few weeks is that you, uh, you would respect our privacy and let us just, uh, just
just get some downtime. Let me get some downtime. And uh, I look forward to being back with you guys. I'll be here through the Christmas Eve services. Next weekend, we have our big Christmas worship service. It's going to be phenomenal. Those of you at home, if you'd like to show up for a live service, that would be the one to show up at. And uh, make sure you get those tickets for Christmas Eve. So thank you guys for your prayer, for your support. And I hope maybe for some of you, some of you, uh, this would be an encouragement to you that if this can happen to me, it can happen to you. So you figure out what your life looks like. You figure out the principle of the Sabbath. You figure out the time for the rest, the carving out the leisure. You figure out a time to keep those things in your life that actually pour back into your life instead of just giving all the time. And I'm telling you, God's gonna honor that. Father, thank you for uh, the way you paint your Bible characters. I mean, you paint them warts and all. You don't just, you know, we don't look at these guys and say they're on a plateau and we can never be like them. No, we look at them and say, wow, they're just like us. And you pull back the curtain and you let us see what's really going on in their life. And Father, we look at this and say, wow, if this could, if this could happen to a guy who just hour earlier has prayed and you sent down fire from heaven, well, it can pretty much happen to anybody. So Father, I just pray that uh, for all of us, we would we begin to get that balance between working and pursuing and trying so hard to be spiritual and kind of balancing that out with just being who we are before you. Father, I believe the best days at Hope Community Church are ahead. I believe that 2021 is gonna blow our minds and I cannot wait to see even over the next few weeks as we go through the holiday season, how you're going to show up. The people that are gonna hear and respond to the gospel for the very first time. Families that are going to be changed forever. Thank you for what you've done in this place. And Father, may it continue to bring honor and glory to you for the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years of loving people where they are encouraging them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for loving us, warts and all. And we thank you that all these things have been made possible through your Son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.